Uh, as the FCA director, um, we have Bible study groups on Tuesday nights, and so I started to think about the times my wife would come to Bible study with me. We also travel with a lot of the teams. I travel with the teams, and so they had told me your wife, could, she could start traveling with us because we have a lot of female athletes also. And so I had all these great plans laid out, and I thought, my youngest daughter is going into sixth grade, and I have six more years, and she'll be graduated, and then we'll have a little bit more freedom. And then on last, this past Easter, my wife gave me a little, this little onesie. You know what a onesie is? And I didn't know what it was. I thought, why are you giving me this onesie? I looked at her, and she said, did you see it? And it said, the onesie said, hold me close and hug me, something like, Say, tell me you love me and hold me close. So I looked at her, and I said, I love you, and I gave her a hug. She said, did you look at it? Did you look at it? I didn't know what she was talking about. So after 12 years, we're back in the game. I mean, we're going to have another baby. So, so uh, wow, it's exciting. But uh, that's the story I would be, be praying for her and, and her health uh, during that time. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings chapter 13. It's really a great privilege and honor to be here. I got to know Pastor Mike through Jeremy um, Callie, and uh, our daughters played volleyball together. And it's very interesting how God orchestrates things. We were actually at a tournament one day, and I was still the associate pastor at Central Baptist Church, uh, and it was a time of delay. And I sat and I started to talk to Jeremy. We were talking about ministry life. And I said to him, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about doing something different. I think the Lord may want me to make a change. My wife had been talking about that. We have been talking about that also, and it's, it's just amazing to me that six months later I stepped into the role of the FCA, but it, it kind of started with that conversation with one of your elders, Jeremy Callie. So he's a very dear friend to me and my family, and then meeting Pastor Mike, so we're very excited to be with you. In 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 14 through 20 is where we will be. It reads, and I'm reading from the uh, English Standard Version, now, when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Draw the bow, and he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the windows eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. And he said, Take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, Strike the ground with him. And he struck three times and stopped. Then a man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. So Elisha died, and they buried him. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to look into your word, Father. Lord, I pray that we will be uh, doers of the word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a story that talks about a, a doctor, a doctor and his patient. And the doctor said to the patient, uh, I have bad news and worse news. Well, the patient said, let's have it. The doctor said, the bad news is that you only have 24 hours to live. The patient said, I, I can't imagine what could be worse than that. And the doctor said, I forgot to tell you yesterday. All of us 
at some point in our life, we'll go through difficult times. And I believe in 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 14 through 20, we will see uh, some key principles at how to deal with difficult times in our life. But I need to give you a background about what is taking place uh, in the kingdom of Israel. You remember that David had been king for years, and he passed on. His son Solomon became king. When Solomon became king, uh, he built the kingdom up. But the Bible says Solomon married many foreign wives, and his heart turned away from the Lord. Because of that, there was a young man named Jeroboam who was told he would become king of Israel also. And so as Solomon, when Solomon died, his son Rehoboam became king. And Rehoboam had two sets of advisors. The Bible said he had the, the older men, the wiser men, and he had the young men. And the people said to Rehoboam, you know, we need you to let up on us. Your father taxed us. He worked us hard. Can you be different? And the older men were telling Rehoboam, look, you cannot do what your father did. But the younger men told him, like, look, Rehoboam, you can't show weakness with these people. You've got to be tough. You've got to be hard with them. So Rehoboam came back, and he told them, basically, I'm going to be 10 times harder than my father. And when that happened, the nation, the kingdom of Israel, split, became the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Jeroboam, who was told he would become king of Israel, he led the northern kingdom. Now, what's interesting about Jeroboam is that the Bible says that God told him that he would be king and God would be with him. And then we read in 1 Kings, in 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 26 through 29, the temple was still down in Judah, in Jerusalem. So because Jeroboam did not want the people to turn back to Judah and reunite the kingdom, he built two golden calves. And he told the people to worship them, and they need not go uh, to the temple. And so there was this great divide in Israel. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And Jeroboam, who was appointed by God to lead, decides now to worship false idols. And if you read through the book of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and Chronicles, you'll always read, and such and such walked in the ways of Jeroboam, meaning idol worship. And so here in 2 Kings, the king of Israel here, uh, Joash here, he has not been walking in the ways of David. He has walked in the ways of Jeroboam. And the Syrian army is now attacking them. God had really not been blessing the nation because of their sin. And now in the midst of tough times, when things are about to fall apart, the king of Israel, verse 14, he goes to Elisha, and he bows down crying, and he says, my father, my father. The first step, the first key to dealing with tough times is we must not be afraid to admit our weaknesses. We must not be afraid to admit our weaknesses. We must recognize that God will help us even when we cry out. Even though you may, your life may not be perfect, though you may not have been walking with him, doing the things that he has asked you to do in his word, there is never a time that you cannot call out to him. The Bible says the king of Israel did not walk in the ways of David, but he walked in the ways of Jeroboam, which means that idol worship was growing. And yet, during this tough time, when this other nation is about to attack him, he goes to the king of, he goes to the prophet, and he humbles himself. Because the scripture says, 
he went down to him and wept before him. Now, I don't know too many, I mean, I, I don't know too many men, I don't, there may be some, who go to, to another man, you know, I don't know if you have greeting time on Sunday and, you know, you have the fellowship times, or, and small groups, small groups, think about small groups. And you go into small group and maybe you're uh, uh, like this great, uh, you, you got a business, things have been going well, you got your nice house, you got uh, four kids and two dogs, two cats, and, you know, every time the church has a fellowship, everybody comes to your house. And so everybody thinks everything is good. And, and you're just smiling. But then one day, you lose everything. Lose your job. Find out somebody's sick. And, and, and you don't, but you don't want anybody to know. And then you go to a small group and someone says, what everybody says on Sunday, how is life going? How are you doing? And on Sunday, at least, people say, I'm doing fine. It's great. Now, you had to borrow money to get to church because you had no gas. Uh, you haven't been eating good because you lost everything. You come. What would it be to come in? Could you do it? To go to whomever. They say hello, and then you start crying. And you say, life is a disaster. We've lost everything. Now, the truth be told, when most of us are in difficult times, we're too proud to admit our weaknesses. We're too proud to, in a sense, let people know exactly what's going on in our life and letting them see what's really going, uh, see what's going on in our hearts and minds. When you're in the midst of tough times, the Bible says that, in a sense, you've got to get rid of your pride and you've got to let people know what's really going on. The Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And the text here, remember, this is the king of Israel who goes down to this prophet who he has basically been ignoring all the time because he has not been walking in the ways of God. He goes to this prophet and he says, my father, my father, meaning that he's saying, Elisha, I respect you. You have more authority than me. And he humbles himself by bowing down and crying. You and I, in our lives, know whenever something is taking place, and that's why I, I saw the, the small groups kind of, yeah, missional community. That's why those things are important. Because it's a time for you to come not only to study and learn the word of God, but it's a time for you to share what's really going on in your life and to admit those struggles and weaknesses that you have. In essence, you've got to humble yourself. In Psalm 69, we read a psalm earlier, David himself says, Save me, O God, for the waters are coming to my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Throughout the Psalms, you read them, if you read them and, and the emotion in them, there are so many times that David admits his weaknesses and he cries out to God. You and I need to be people who are not afraid to admit weakness and tell people who we are. Now, the thing about that is, guess what? There are, God, God is so gracious. No matter what you've done, I know he doesn't, God doesn't care what you did an hour ago or 15 minutes ago. When you cry out to him, he listens. God wants 
to help us. God wants us to have a relationship with him. For the person who is here who has maybe come to this church and you really don't know, a pastor talked about Christianity, you don't know what that's all about. What it's really about is that God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. And there's nothing that you could have done. There's nothing you will do that he cannot forgive and have a relationship with you. And so you and I, in the moment of weakness, struggles, we must admit it. Now we say, so why is that hard? We have to ask, why is that hard? How many of you have children and grandchildren? If you do, raise your hand. You have children and grandchildren. Uh, you know when the baby's first born? And what do you say to that baby that can't hear anything you're saying? What do you say? Everybody comes and they're like, oh, you're so beautiful. Grandparents, oh, this is the greatest thing. You're the greatest thing. They, you know, they crawl. Oh, everybody's videoing, especially on the first grandchild. Everybody's videoing everything. You know, I got three kids. My oldest daughter, we probably have 2,000 pictures. This, my son, because he's the first boy, we got about 1,500. My youngest daughter, we couldn't find nothing. She would say, how come there's no pictures? There's nothing that. Because, you, you know, you ain't taking nothing. You just... But that first one, oh, you tell them how great they are. And when they run, you know, when they first start walking, you're like, oh, you just walk so fast. And you, you, you video and you're sitting out, look at them go. And they're so good. And everybody's all smiling. And when they, the grandparents, you know, you talk about your grandparents, you know, the little kid tear your house up. And you know they're tearing your house up. But when they run up and give you that hug and they say, Grandma, you just smile. What do they need for Christmas? And you know they already got everything they need for Christmas, but you're just spending because it's a grandchild. That little grandchild thinks they're special. And then they keep continuing to grow and they start running. And you think, you're so fast. You're so fast. Now, you know you can walk fast and they're running, but you're so fast. And the little boy, you got a little grandson, and he, he pick up two toys, and he goes, ah, you're so strong. Look at grandma's baby. Look at my son. And dad's all smiling because the son and the mom's, you, mom's looking all like, look at my little daughter. And dad's like, that's daddy's girl. Come here. And you go like this, and they run and jump to you, and you go, ah, all that stuff, right? <laughs> oh, we build them up, right? Did you know when a person comes to Christ, we, we build their esteem. In essence, we tell them how special they are. But when you come to Christ, you didn't really have to humble yourself and say, I'm not as great as I thought I was. Our whole life, little kids especially, we told them how great they are the whole time. Oh, we told them how special they are. We told them how fast they are. And now, now when it comes to a, a person coming to Christ or admitting weakness, it's hard to do because we don't built them. I'm not saying we shouldn't do those things. But to admit weakness takes a lot. To say that I'm struggling, to say that I need help. I'm in a tough time. It takes a lot because it goes against everything that has happened in our lives in general because everybody has told us how great we are. And so here we see the king of Israel who gives us the first step, admitting those weaknesses. Secondly, second part, second part, we must call upon those who are spiritually mature in difficult times. We must call upon those who are spiritually mature. A friend of mine awoke one morning to find a puddle of water in the middle of his king-sized waterbed. In order to fix the puncture, he rolled the heavy mattress outdoors and filled it with more water so he could locate the leak more easily. The enormous bag of water was impossible to control and began rolling on the hilly terrain. He tried hard to hold it back, but it headed downhill and landed in a clump of bushes which poked it full of holes. Disgusted, my friend threw out the waterbed frame and moved a standard bed into his room. The next morning, he awoke to find a puddle of water in the middle of the new bed. The upstairs bathroom had a leaky drain. 
like that illustration, there are far too many people who will give you advice without really seeing or knowing what the problem is. In the midst of struggle, in the midst of weakness, the king of Israel, he doesn't just go to anyone. He goes to the most spiritually mature person he could find, which is the prophet of God, Elisha. In essence, when it comes to tough times in our life and you need advice and you need someone to help you out, you need to really look at someone's spiritual resume. Now think about this. The king went to Elisha. Look at his his resume. He saw Elijah taken into heaven and he received a double portion of his spiritual power. Elisha helped the widow with oil to pay her debts. Elisha raised the Shunammite son from the dead. Elisha purified deadly stew. Elisha was part of healing Naaman of his leprosy. Elisha struck the Syrian army with blindness. And after his death, the Bible says, a dead man touched his bones and came back to life. When you are in the midst of struggle and tough times, tough times in your marriage, tough times with your children, tough times with your finances, tough times on your job, tough times with illness and sickness, who do you go to? You go to God, and then you go to individuals that you have seen God do work in their lives who can give you true answers. I don't go to somebody, if I want to get in shape and lose weight, I don't go to somebody who weighs more than me. I don't go, when I, when I got a marriage, if I got struggles in my marriage, I'm not going to go to somebody who's uh, been married and divorced 15 times. I'm going to go to somebody who I can see in their life that despite all the struggles, this man continues to love his wife. This woman continues to love their husband. That's who I'm going to go to because I want spiritually mature people to help me to be more like Christ. Because ultimately, that's the goal. And so when those tough times come, you know, there are so many books written. Everybody has advice for you. And, you know, you can have, I got, I probably got a thousand books, you know, being in seminary and so on. Watch a lot of videos. Y'all, who here has a thousand theology books besides the pastor? Anybody else? Nobody? Anybody got 500? 500 right there? 250. 250. What, if you don't have 250 books, what can you do? Because I got 1,000, he's got 2,000. If you don't have the books, he's got 250. If you don't, what can you do? Well, you go really to the only book that matters, this one right here. Okay? Not all them 1,000 books. When it's all said and done, they can all burn up. I don't want this one to burn up because this one has the answers. The Bible talks about... The, uh, in Titus about the older women helping the younger women and the, and the older men helping the younger men. This is what it comes, when we talk about this spiritually mature people, that's why it's very important that you have all ages in a church because when, I, when a person gets newly married, I don't, you know, you get, they have these new, uh, newly married classes. And when you first get married, we, we, my wife and I got married, we were in Texas. And all of us newly married people, when you first get married, everybody's in love, right? Because you newlyweds, it's the first year. And you walk into class, everybody's just smiling. Hi, how's it going? Oh, great. I love my wife. She looks so beautiful. Oops. I love my wife. She looks so beautiful. How are you guys? Oh, it's just wonderful. Can your wife cook? No, but I love her. Is your husband? How's the house coming? Oh, now I say these things because when I first got married, we moved to Texas. 
And if you're not married, I would tell you, I got my wife from the airport, Grapevine, Texas, and we're going to our apartment. As we're going to the apartment, there is an apartment on this side, and there's an apartment on this side. The apartment on this side, oh, it's brand new and nice. And we're riding, my wife's just smiling, newlyweds. Oh, honey, I hope we live there. Oh, I hope we live there. And when I'm pulling up, I didn't turn there, I turned over there. And she said, oh, okay. But she still loved me because we were newlyweds. And then we found out that when you turn the lights out, the walls will start to move. Like this wave. And you turn on, it wouldn't move anymore. Turn off, start to move. Our neighbor downstairs had a pest problem. They're called roaches. And they would come up, come out the drain, the bathroom, and so on. But she still loved me. Oh, I love you. Wild move, we got out of there, but I love you. <laughs> but everybody's in there love. And, but everybody's love, love. And in the, and the way that church worked, uh, they had the newlyweds, and then you had newlyweds with kid, people who had been married for three or four years and so on. But you know what? The newlyweds were always happy. You look at the people who have been married four or five years, the same skip that they used to have, sometimes they had that look like, I can't believe I married this joker. <sighs> now, anybody who's been married knows you have those ups and downs of feelings. That's why it's important that you have older couples within the church who have been married who are willing to impart, this is how, young man, you love your wife. The woman says to the young ladies, this is how you love your husband. This is how you serve each other. And we should, the uh, younger couple should be able to look at the older couples and say, I want my marriage to be just like yours. To the singles, older and you're single, you mature. I mean, if you're 25, you know what? You could be a mentor to a 15-year-old girl. Ages, the difference in age, each one of us, when a person comes to Christ, we have a responsibility not to stay as babes in Christ, but to grow in our walk with Christ so that we can impact someone else. And the church needs spiritually mature people because all of us are going to have tough times. And when those tough times come, I don't want to turn on the TV and have to go see Dr. Phil. I don't want to have to go find where Oprah is. I don't want to have to go see Steve Harvey. I should be able to come to the church. I should be able to pray and say, Lord, put someone in my life that I can go to. I should read my book. I should be able to come to the church and say, that's who I'm going to talk to. Spiritual maturity is very important because every believer and a non-believer those who don't really know, those who don't know Christ are going to have difficult circumstances. And so, how do you become spiritually mature? You become spiritually mature by reading this book. And not reading it, just reading it, but actually doing what it says. So I say, well, how often should I read it? How often should I eat it? Well, everybody eats every day, right? You, ever, you probably eat food every day. Most people, if you're, my wife tells me, actually, if you want to be healthy, you eat three meals and two snacks. That's five times, right? Now, so if you only eat five times a day, 150 days in a month on average, how often should you read the book? But well, we know you got to read it every day. 
If you're going to be spiritually mature, you know you need to read it every day. I didn't say, I'm not saying you, you can read a verse and meditate, but you need to be in the book and actually do what it says. It doesn't do any good just to read it and just, uh, you got to do what it says. That's why James, it says, not to only be hearers of the word, but to be doers. Don't be hearers only, but be doers also. It's very important. So here, we know that we need to call upon the spiritually mature. He is the king of Israel. In the midst of his uh, struggle, he goes to this king and he says, I need your help. I cannot, I cannot do it on my own. You and I, when you have tough times, who do you call upon? Ask yourself, who do you call upon? What's your, what is the person's resume? There should be people in your life spiritually mature people that you have on speed dial so that you can make decisions that honor God. There are too many people for, there are too many people who can give you advice, but it's not spiritual advice. And the only advice that matters is advice that comes from this book. Thirdly, and lastly, not only do we must admit our weakness, not only do we need to call upon the spiritually mature, thirdly, we, we must not limit God. We see in the text in 2 Kings, that Elisha tells him to shoot these arrows. And the king looks out the window and he strikes, the Bible says here in verse 18, and he struck three times and stopped. And the Bible says Elisha got upset and said, man, why didn't you shoot, 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 so you could have wiped them out? In essence, what he's saying is, why did you stop? Why did you put limits on what God could do? When you're in a tough time, when you're in a difficult situation, don't limit God. Now, we talked about resumes a few minutes ago. Who is God? God is a creator. He is the, the whole of creation. He is the life giver. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is sovereign. He is immutable. He is perfect. He created this earth. He created you. Why would you put limits upon him? Elisha was upset because he's looking at the king, and the king does, like many of us do in our life, we say, what we say is, God, I just want you to, I just want to be okay. I, gotta, I, I want you to just make sure I can pay my bill and I'll be okay. And there are times God's saying, I want to give you so much more so you can do more for my work. But we just are comfortable with limiting him. And when I say we limit God, have you ever... Uh, a person, you have family members that you've been praying for. You guys just did on the prayer walk in Clay. And if we, if there, are those, there are two groups of people when you go on those prayer walks. There are people who go on the prayer walk and who believe that God can change the life of every home we pass. God wants to reach people for Christ. God wants to grow our church. He wants to, people to get saved. He wants to have baptism. That's that group who believe by house, God's going to save that house. God's going to save the house. And there's another group who's on the walk and says, God can change lives, but uh, he really ain't going to do it. They say, can God really change the whole area of clay? No, they say, well, maybe he can change one or two houses. In essence, what they're doing is they limit God. They say that God is okay if you say five or six, but you don't need to save thousands. And we do it in our lives. People do it in their marriages. No matter your situation. Tell people, I don't care how bad your marriage is. If you got struggles in your marriage, I don't care how bad it is. You pray and you ask God to do what he can do. 
God can change it. Don't put limits. People have children. You work hard. People, you know, this, this, people work hard for years and their children grow up. And you're like, man, my son, my daughter ain't doing nothing. I taught them the word of God. I, I taught them truths. Maybe I wasn't a perfect parent. I, made, I, I, I apologized to them and tried to get it right. I'm praying and nothing's happening. Don't limit God. God can change any uh, dire circumstance that you have in your life. Too many people, they're content like the king of Israel. Man, well, maybe he got these arrows. He took his arrow out. Oh, the arrow of God. One. Oh, the arrow of God. Two. Oh, the arrow of God. Three. There are 10 arrows sitting over there. I shot three arrows of God. I'm good. Elisha looking at him like, man, don't you know? These people, you could wipe them out so they don't attack you again. You got five arrows left and you don't want to shoot them? He's like, I'm good. Limiting God. You and I, there are times that there are tough. There are people, there are some who are here today who are going through a tough situation. And you know it's tough, and you're not willing to tell somebody, you're not willing to open up to your leaders, to others in your church and tell them. And you're getting advice from people who can't tell you the truth. And you limit God, and God's just sitting there saying, look, bring it before me. Lay it at the altar. Lay it at my feet. Tell your brothers and sisters in Christ, and don't limit me, and watch what I can do. Story of a friend, a man, he, his wife, They've been married for years, and he found out that his wife was having an affair. In the midst of that, his wife also became pregnant. I remember I sat and I talked with him, and I asked him, he was hurt, but he said, I want to work it out. And I asked him, I said, "Do do you want to know if this child is yours, or are you going to try to find out? And his answer to me was this, I don't want to know. I'm going to, we're going to work it out. No matter what happens, I'm going to love her, and we're going to move forward in the process. Now, from a human standpoint, we sit and think, what in the world was he thinking? Why would he not want to know? But what he said to me was, I made vows and commitment. She has asked for forgiveness. I'm not going to even go in that direction because I'm going to love her as Christ has loved me. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The only way you're going to love that way is by studying this book and committing to what Christ has done and saying, Lord, no matter the situation, I'm going to follow you. Now, I'm going to put no limits on it and do what only you can do. And they're thriving today. You and I, so many times we say we trust the book. We love the book. But when God tells us to love and God says, if God, if God, if we treated uh, people uh, if God treated us the way that we treat people, it would be ugly. Because what do we do? We hold grudges. Uh, we, we know. We don't. We say, well, I remember what you did four or five years ago. And I did this. God doesn't do that. And so when, when, when we, as, we, as we come forward, as we move forward, and we look in this text, this whole thing, this whole story about tough times is that this. God wants to help you out. And even more than that. God wants to have a relationship with you. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. And no matter where you've been, what you've done, if you don't know him, I'm telling you, he wants to have a relationship with you. Or perhaps you're on the other end. 
you're a believer and life is, you've made poor choices and you are suffering the consequences and you have struggles, you do not know what to do, I'm going to tell you, trust God. Don't be afraid to share it with your leaders, those who are spiritually mature, because all God wants to do is to, us to do is humble ourselves, admit where we are, and then watch him do great work. Don't ever put limits upon him. As we serve, I was telling Jeremy, uh, we have at Syracuse University, we have 572 student athletes. So, and people say uh, the huddle groups, the Bible study groups are called huddle groups. Last year, they had about 40 students. I started in March, 40 students in the huddle groups. And some people say, how many people do you want at the huddle group? It would be great if we had 100 students at the huddle group. Oh, well, that would be, well, that would be, uh, I just look all sad, 100. How many student athletes are there? 572. We don't want to limit God. We want to reach 572. We want to reach every coach that's at that school. Why? Because we know that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that he can have a relationship with him. And guess what? God wants to know all of you. And he loves you. Don't never think you're not worthy. God is not a God of limitations. You and I, in the midst of struggle, let's not limit him. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to look briefly into your word, Father. I pray that you are honored and glorified, and I pray that if there are those here today who are going through struggle, Father, help them to look to you, to trust you throughout all circumstances. In Jesus' name, amen.